Do you love, love Jesus this morning? Say amen. amen. Praise God. Good to have everybody here with us today. We uh, started this series two weeks ago, and kind of the last minute, a um, friend of mine from South Africa was able to come, and I asked him to come and just share what was on his heart. Uh, this morning, I want to pick up on what I did two weeks ago on Just Ask. We have started a series that uses the three-letter word as an acrostic. Everybody say, ask, seek, and knock. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, he said, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be opened. To everyone who asks, he shall receive. To everyone who seeks, he shall find. To him that knocks, the door shall be opened unto him. And he goes on to talk about the goodness of God, saying that how many of you, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. You wouldn't give him a snake if he asked for a fish. You wouldn't give him a, a stone if he asked for bread. How much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? And so it's basically about the idea that God has already given to us everything uh, according to some promises that pertain to life and godliness. 2 Peter chapter 1, we used this verse a couple weeks ago, and I don't have it on the media. I'm just going to quote it for you. But 2 Peter 1 says it this way. It says, according as his divine power hath, quoting King James, has, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everybody say, all things are already mine. According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to glory and virtue, that by these exceeding great and precious promises, everybody say great and precious promises, that by these exceeding great and precious promises, we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, is what the Bible says. So we've got the divine power of God providing everything we need. And he gives it to us in a promissory note. We have to access that. We have to take our treasury bill to the bank. And we take the promise of God. We access the promise of God by asking. It's not in lots of words. Jesus said your heavenly father knows what you ask before. He knows what you need before you even ask it. My God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus is Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. Another one of the promises of God, over 8,000 of them found in scripture all dealing with various aspects of the goodness of God being poured out for your life. The greatest promise that has ever been given is found in John 3.16, John 17.2, Jesus said, this is eternal life that they may know the one true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is the primary promise. That is the first and the greatest promise. Until you've accessed that promise, all of the others are really, really secondary. Jesus Christ came to bring glory to the Father, to restore fallen creation, to redeem us from the curse of the law of sin and death. And we preached a couple of weeks ago that all you have to do is ask. Just ask. God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can even ask or imagine, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says. So this morning as we begin, I want to build out a little bit on what Dr. Bill Bennett said last Sunday, and that is probably the two of the most great, the greatest concepts that he brought to us in those two messages last Sunday was the idea that as far as you can go out there in the universe, in this ever-expanding at the speed of light universe that God created, that he started in a moment by divine fiat, by his commandment, by the word of his power, he said, light be and light was. And the universe has been expanding at 186,000 miles per second ever since that Big Bang, which I believe if you're going to believe in a Big Bang, then there has to be a Big Banger to bang the bang. <laughs> I loved it in the 90s when they came out with this theory and after the Hubble telescope basically confirmed it and Ted Koppel himself said on Nightline, he said, this is the nearest thing that science has ever uh, declared that sounds like the Genesis account, light be and light was. He didn't clap his hands like I did because he wasn't preaching, but he says this sounds like Genesis 1. 
I'm all for that. That's great. I think when it's over with, science and religion will not be at odds. We'll find out through, through all of the things that we've learned that God really is God, and he created this thing, and he created it for a purpose. Somebody say amen. amen. One of the greatest things that Dr. Bill said last Sunday was that idea that as far as you can go out there to the extensions of the ever-increasing, ever-expanding cosmos, the universe, the same way you can turn around and you can go that deep on the inside of you in terms of the capacity that is inside you as an individual creation of God, that the glory that the heavens declare God made you to contain it. The, the most powerful statement that I brought home from that message last Sunday that I want to build out on this today is what he, what he said when he, he told us that the word greater than in 1 John 4, 4, for you are of God, little children, and have overcome the evil one because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That whole phrase greater than literally is a quantitative statement in the Greek language, in the original, it basically is saying that inside you there is more of God than there is evil out there in the world. Can you wrap your little pea-sized brain around that concept? There is more God on the inside of you than there is evil out there in the world trying to get on the inside of you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead now dwells on the inside of you. Did you hear what I just said? Romans chapter 8 verse 11. You know, it's easy for us to believe that God could do miracles through Isaiah and prophesy hundreds of years in advance. It's easy for us to think that God could perform miracles at the hands of the Apostle Paul. But then when we look at ourselves in the mirror, we doubt the God that is on the inside of us. Is that same God who is in me able to do what he did through Isaiah? Is that same God who is in me the same power that raised Christ from the dead? Is that same power in me able to do the great things? Something disconnects because I know me. I know my struggles. I know where I miss it. Can I just be real plain and real with you this morning? I know my sin. Is that too plain for some folks? God has begun a good work in me, but he's not finished with it. The, the work of Christ on the cross is finished. He, 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 he stamped the thing paid in full. If you went to Jerusalem today to Home Depot and you picked up a load and you were going to put a new roof on the house and you picked up all the shingles and, and you saw the, the bill for the, the goods that you bought, it would be stamped at the bottom. The same Greek word that Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. It's the Greek word tetelestai. It literally means the debt is paid, paid in full. Your, your English statement on your bill would say, from Home Depot in Memphis, it would say, paid in full. In Jerusalem, in Hebrew, it would say, in Greek, rather, it would say, tetelestai. It would say, paid in full. Those are the words that Jesus uttered when he was on the cross at Calvary, and he said, it is finished, tetelestai. Your sin debt has been paid for. It's a finished work. Religion screams do. Jesus simply with rest and quiet and calm says done. It is finished. Christ's work on the cross is finished for me. Christ's work inside of me is continuously ongoing. He who began a good work will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. Being confident of this very thing. God has no unfinished projects in his garage. He still is working on us by the power of his Holy Spirit. I, uh, I want to share from two passages of Scripture this morning. Hosea chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 11. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to read only two verses. Hosea. Old Testament prophet declares this. So, read that loud with me. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord. Stop right there. Look at your neighbor. Say, it's time to seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. On the other side, say, it's time. It's time to seek the Lord, let's continue, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Everybody say one more time. It's time. All right, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. 
And without faith, it is impossible to please him. To whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. King James says he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The New International Version says he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Diligently speaks of consistency. Earnestly speaks of my passion for it. But I've got to seek him. This is the simple promise. If I'll seek him, he will reward me. If I seek him, I will find him. It's time to seek the Lord. Bow your heads with me. God, we just come before you. You're a great God. You dwell in the heavens. The kingdom is yours from everlasting to everlasting. You rule in the kingdoms of men. You raise up kings and you set them down. We, we out of obedience right now, pray for our president. We ask you in Jesus' name to pour out wisdom, Lord, upon him and those that are in places of authority. Lord, on the national, on the state, on the local level, bless the leaders with grace and wisdom and understanding so that righteousness might prevail in this nation. Turn this mess around, God. We seek you. We cry out to you. Solomon said, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, that you will hear from heaven and you will heal our land. And God, we cry out to you. We seek you, Lord. It's time to seek you. Lord, we ask you today that you would just move and teach. Holy Spirit, you are the only teacher. I can't do anything apart from you. And I ask you, by your presence and your, your word, your light, your illumination to help us to see what you're trying to say to us in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. Pretend with me for a moment that we are in a long theater. The lights are down. You can't see anything. Lights have dropped all of a sudden. And there is a light that come on, comes on in the back and there's an object sitting in front of it. And because of the light that is crossing that object, it is casting a shadow, very much like that circle you see right here, several of them, because the lights are being cast across these globes. And you see a circle on the platform. If you didn't see the globe, you would be wondering, where's that shadow coming from? So pretend with me for a moment that the room is totally black, and all of a sudden a bright light from the back comes on, and you see a huge white screen, and there's one black circle in the middle. Now, uh, let's say that this is light that is being shined on who God is. And we have a prophet who comes along, and he starts to proclaim that that is a representation of God. The Scripture talks about shadows in the Old Covenant that are merely pointing to light being cast on something and they're pointing to a substance that we do not get a hold of until we experience Christ in the New Testament. And so we have a prophet that rises up and he starts to preach the gospel according to the circle. And you know, he, he, he absolutely builds his systematic theology around the circle and he basically says that God is a circle. He's never unending love. His, his kingdom is from everlasting to everlasting. What can better depict that than a circle? A circle that is inclusive. A circle that reaches out in his great love and wraps his arms around the elect. Jesus comes and he pours out his love for the world. And he says, for God so loved, and the circle shows the unending love of God. And before you know it, while the prophetic uh, minister who's declaring the gospel according to the circle is finished, somebody takes the object and flips it up, and it's the very same object. But now, because the light is being cast across it in a different way, the identically same object now becomes a rectangle on the wall, and another prophet arises, having seen a vision from the Lord, and declares, no, the gospel according to the circle is heretical. It is heresy, says the Lord, but surely God is a rectangle. It'll go to the four corners of the earth. God's not just some little soft circle, but there are hard corners that must go to the north and the south and the east and the west. And then meanwhile, a movement has emerged and a church has gotten started and the first church of the circle starts fighting the first church of the rectangle. And the circle church is basically saying, oh, all you guys, you can't put God in a box. God's a circle. The rectangle guys are saying, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. God basically had to, declares that there are lines of faith that must intersect 
with the hearts of men and their hard corners in this thing. And you got the first church of the circle on this side and the first church of the rectangle on that side and they're both fighting each other. Does anybody have any idea what that object might be if it's the same object and you're shining it in one way the light is shining might make it be a circle and the other, other way might make it be a rectangle? Hand it to me, Abby. Shine the light, what's on the wall? Shine the light, what's on the wall? It's a rectangle because you're not going to see the dimensions. The object's behind you. And in some ways, we've drawn up our lines in religion. And we've said, this is the revelation that we have, and we're willing to draw the lines in the sand and draw our swords and fight against brothers and sisters who we think maybe there is some connection. We feel there's a connection in the spirit. No, I'm a Pentecostal, bless God. I'm, I'm the first church of the circle. Well, I'm a Baptist, glory to God. And you guys are all wrong, and it's the first church of the rectangle. Hallelujah. And too many times we are drawing lines in the sand when we don't realize both of us are describing the same thing. It just has to do with the light that God has shined into our particular movement. And we, we actually need the circles, need the rectangles, and the rectangles need the circles. And you know what I realized one day? I realized that you know what? You can line up and fight for the revelation on this side and line up and fight for the revelation on this side, but until you've done some of this right here, <laughs> oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. <laughs> and too many times our, our arguments are over things that are just really so. It's just a matter of semantics. It's just not even an issue. And I just want to go, does this really matter? God is bigger than that. I mean, it's like the guys who square off and say, well, you know, it's, it's Calvinism. God chose me. No, it's Arminianism. And you just want to go, both of you are describing the same God. God chooses, yes. Man chooses, yes. We have to have both. If you preach one without the other, you've got something that's messed up. God is sovereign. Man is responsible. If you let one of either ends of that rubber band go, somebody's going to snap and it's not going to do what it's supposed to do. Truth is always the tension between two extremes. Crazy thing about God is he's on both sides of the coin at the same time. You can only look at one. How did he do that? <laughs> Sunday, Bill said something. He said, you've heard it said it's not about you. He said, but I want to tell you it is about you. And I just two weeks ago, I just stood up in this pulpit and I just said to this church, preaching what one of our pastors described as the clearest presentation of the gospel that they'd ever heard me preach. And I specifically said two weeks ago, this is not about you. Bill said, you've heard it said it's not about you. I'm telling you it is about you. And so I had an individual call me and out of a certainly right heart, and they basically said, look, I'm, I'm, a, I'm more mature believer. I, I, I believe if I, some of our young believers in Christ are coming, they're probably confused. Now, I just need to know which is it. Is it? What is it? And I said, it's both. It's both and. It's not always an either or thing. Now, let me just say this. When, when I make an attempt to stand up and tell you it's not about you, I'm trying to divorce our thinking in America has, uh, the gospel has been so entangled in the American dream that we start to think that Jesus is our heavenly Santa Claus and we can turn in a wish list with any kind of crazy idea on it that we want to and that God basically exists to make me happy. That's when I want to tell you, look, it ain't about you. At the same time, I just want to remind you that Ephesians 1 says before the foundation of the world, before you're ever born, long before you're even a little glimmer in your daddy's eye, God set his love on you. He sent his son to die for you. This service this morning, God doesn't need my preaching. This service is for you. I'm going to preach, just seek the Lord. Now, who are we preaching? We're not preaching, seek your happiness, you know, seek your best life. And I'm sorry, I shouldn't even have done that. Uh, we're not preaching any of this kind of a man-centered kind of stuff, but we're preaching, seek the Lord. He is central. It is all about him. At the same time, I just want to tell you, if we take it's not about you all the way and we start thinking it's not at all about you, 
then why are we even here? Our service is designed so that we gather together and we give God the glory. And my whole focus is to get you to do that. So, to, And there's some small part, though yet not insignificant, it is to some degree about you because you have been called to be on team with God. And when you don't do it, a generation dies because you don't take the responsibility you're supposed to take. It's all about him. But guess what? Now that I'm born again, I'm included in that whole company called him. Christ the head and Christ the body. Our brother gave us a scripture when he ended. He said, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this is how I would preach that. It's that we as Americans in our rugged individualism interpret Christ in you. And we think singularly. And when you look at that literally in the Greek, it's a plural you. It's Christ in and among you all. Hello, Christ. Some of you think I'm crazy. The head, Jesus, is seated on the throne, but I'm looking at his body this morning. The body of, are you with me? Okay. So it's all about him, but then when you become part of him, you have a part you have to play. Your very testimony is your story about what God has done in your life. I can't say your testimony. My testimony is mine. It's about me. It's about Jesus, who is the center of it. But it's about what Jesus has done in me. Are you hearing me? Just to quote the famous prophet, Forrest Gump. <laughs> Jenny, I don't know if Mama was right or if it's Lieutenant Dan who was right. I don't know if we each have a destiny or if we're all floating around accidental like on a breeze, but I think maybe it's both. Maybe both is happening at the same time. Truth is a tension between two extremes. God is sovereign. Man is responsible. Which one of those is true? The answer is yes. Does God choose or do you, you choose? The answer is yes. Are you hearing me? It's not about the church of the rectangle. And I can't turn it upside down because I've popped it open now. The church of the circle. But it's both. And if we can get a bigger revelation of God, we'll start to realize that the circles need the rectangles and the rectangles need the circles because none of us has a complete revelation of who God and how big God is. Do you hear what I'm saying? Seven ways this morning I want to help you seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. He is the center of it. It's all about him. Seek the Lord is just kind of one of those concepts that's it's, it's loaded with churchy language. You, you don't hear it on the job tomorrow. Seek. What is seek? Seek is active. How many of you played hide-and-go-seek when you were kids? You didn't just sit in one place waiting on the thing you were trying to find or the person you were looking for to come to you. You had to get up and go move. You were actively pursuing. Ask. Seek. Knock. It is an intensifying progression of pressing into God. God, I ask you, you, your word says that I'll receive. Now, Lord, you've given me permission. I've received permission. I'm, I'm going on a search, Lord. I'm going to search and seek you out. And the word promises that if I'll seek him, I'll find him. And many times he'll bring me to a door and he says, now that I've taken you to this door because you found it, I want you to start knocking. You don't keep, you don't quit. You keep on. You persist. You keep praying. To him who asks, receives. To him who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, the door will be opened. Seven ways I want to show you how we seek the Lord this morning. Number one, call upon God and pray to him. Call upon God and pray to him. Jesus turned prayer upside down on its ear because for 4,000 years, the Hebrews had been praying in the name of somebody else's God. They prayed in the name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when Jesus said, this is how I want you to pray, say, our Father. Who isn't that good? And notice here, it's not my Father, but I got some brothers and sisters in the mix. Man, how easy would it be if it was just me and Jesus? But y'all are in the, in, the, in the station wagon with me. Are you hearing me this morning? It's not my Father, it's what? Our Father. Immediately we start with the awareness of community. 
call upon God and pray to him. Listen to Jeremiah 29. The Bible says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. Part of the gospel is that the Lord is issuing a call to people that are on the margins of society, separated from a God-centered lifestyle where they can cry out to God and the Lord answers and he will be swift to run and they hear his voice and they know him and the, the sheep hear his voice and they don't follow the voice of a stranger, John 10 says. This morning I want to tell you that God invites you to that kind of a relationship with him. It begins with that first prayer of saying, Jesus, I'm a saver, I, I'm a sinner, I need a savior. The whole journey, the whole odyssey the whole unfolding of the greatness of God and who he is and what he's called you to be begins to unfold when you take that first step and call upon him and pray to God and you say, Our Father, oh Lord, you're in heaven. You reign over the kingdoms of men. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done, oh God, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So be it. Amen. He says, if I will call upon him, he will answer. If I will seek him, I will find him when I seek him with all of my heart. Number two, serve God with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. Everybody say, serve God. You know, there is a, there's a kind of a wait on the Lord mentality in modern American evangelicalism. We just sort of say, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just waiting on the Lord. I need direction. I'm just, just waiting on God. I don't know what this next step in my life is going to be. And... I, I, I want to help you see that waiting when in the scripture where it says wait on the Lord, it does not mean that you sit idly doing nothing. You're going to leave this place today and some of you are going to go to brunch. Some of you are going to go to lunch. But wherever you go, somebody has already prepared some food. They may bring it to your table. They may bring it to a buffet. But regardless, there are people there that are waiting on you. They are actively involved in serving you because they want a tip from you. I don't know about you, but a, but a waiter who's just sitting back there hugging the pole, leaning up against it, not going to get too much tip from me. He better be active. She better be making sure my sweet tea stays pretty full. Now, this is not about me, so let me preach who Jesus is. When we wait on the Lord, it's not about idly sitting by. It's about actively serving the purpose of God. It's about getting busy. Dr. Billy Graham said it this way. He said, you can't change the direction of a vehicle that's not moving. You have to get in motion, and then you can turn the wheel. So you've got to start the car, take it out of park, and you've got to begin to move. I shared that same illustration two weeks ago when I started this series on Ask because I think it's critical. Some of you are waiting on the Lord, and you're just sitting there, just sitting around. Uh, you know, the Scripture talks about standing on the promises, and the old guy and the preacher who said there's uh, too many people that are just sitting on the premises. They ain't standing on any promises. And I want to I goad you. I want to prick you. I want to stick you a little bit and go, come on, get up. Let's move. Come on, take a step. Get up, get, get up, get up out of the boat. Jesus is out there calling you to walk on the water, and it's going to take some faith. Anybody can sit back in the boat and criticize. Serve God with a wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. Listen. First Chronicles 28, 9, and you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him. Everybody say, serve him. Serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Everybody say, head and heart. God wants your head in it. He wants you to think about this. He wants your heart in it. He wants the motive behind what you're doing, why you're doing what you're doing, because the word of God is able to penetrate all of that. It's living and active, piercing, even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. And the scripture says in Hebrews 4.12, it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, wholehearted devotion and willing minds. My head's in it. My heart's in it. 
Some of you this morning probably got up and said, you know, man, it's raining outside. I just really feel like the Lord's called me to rest today. I don't really want to put this serve shirt on. I just don't feel led by the Spirit to go today. Now, how many of you know when you're on a team and folks are depending on you and counting on you, your words should override what you feel? I just don't feel led. <laughs> oh, my goodness, let me just say that. Having been raised a Pentecostal, a charismatic, I, I used to a long time ago walk around with a little lead bullet in my pocket, and I just would just say, hey, you want to feel lead? Here, hold this in your hand. <laughs> Too many times folks are waiting until they feel led to do something when the word has already clearly commanded them to get up off. Well, anyway, I better just stop right there. Are you hearing me this morning? <laughs> you, you don't need for God to split the clouds and for Gabriel to toot his horn and to tell you what the Bible's already told you you ought to do. Come on, somebody, help me a little bit. I know I'm preaching real good, whether you act like it or not. Number three, cast your cares upon the Lord. First Peter says, cast your cares on the Lord for he cares for you. How many times do I do that? And I, I kneel at the altar. I take it to the cross. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. And the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith. I received my sight. And now I am happy all the day. See, God does want to make you happy. He's just not going to do it the way you think he ought to do it. It's, it's meeting him at the cross. It's kissing the cross and get a mouthful of splinters. It's embracing the sufferings of Christ. It's choosing to do the right over the wrong. It's altering my thoughts and changing my ways. It's letting God do a work that I can't do in my own strength or my own ability. Come on, I'm just preaching Jesus this morning. Cast your cares upon the Lord. Too many times I cast mine. Listen to this. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Oh, I love that. Do any of you this morning, can you read that and can you see your name in that blank right there where it says he will never let the righteous fall? Can you take the righteous out and can you put John there? Can you put Sally there? Can you put Jeremy there? Can you put Alex there? Can you put Abby there? Can you put your name there? Some of you are wrestling this morning with so much sin consciousness. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. And some of you have already checked out. You're going, well, that must be for the pastor. That's for really saintly people, but that's not for me. Let me tell you, none of us, our own righteousness is worth a plug nickel. My righteousness is as filthy rags. I don't stand today in anybody's power, not in my ability. I stand in the authority of Jesus Christ and I've been wrapped around with the robe of righteousness. And when I stand up before the throne of God in prayer... I'm basically there in the armor of his son and I'm coming and I'm making a plea in the power of attorney in the name of Jesus I ask this and guess what? It's just like his son is standing there in garb with the garments of heaven and I've got the righteousness of Jesus wrapped around me. Not because of what I've done but because of what he did. When I say righteousness consciousness I'm not saying that I'm without sin. 1 John 1 says, if we say we're without sin, then we lie and the truth's not in us. 1 John 1, 9 goes on to say, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if he's cleansed you and he's wrapped his robe of righteousness around you, you need to know now that you can put your name in that. He will never let your name fall. He's talking about you. Cast your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. He will sustain you. He will uphold you. When, when you begin to make the determination that you're going to put God first, you quit worrying about all these little things that the Gentiles seek God for. Clothing over their back, shelters over their heads, food in their mouth. Jesus said in Matthew 6, he said, look, the grass of the field, the, the flowers out there, the, the, the lily is adorned with greater splendor than Solomon ever had in all of his kingly array. 
A swallow doesn't fall to the ground that the Lord isn't aware of it. He numbers even the very hairs of your head. God is intricately concerned about and involved with the circumstances of your life. And if you think you're doing God a favor by only taking him the big stuff, you're missing out on an amazing relationship that he wants to have with you. Cast your cares upon him. Well, I just can't quit dealing with this. I, I go to the altar and I pray and then it seems like I walk away and there's a chain that's like a ball that I'm dragging. I've cast it, I've taken it and I've set it down there. But when I try to walk away, it follows me. Well, guess what? You need a brother or a sister who can take up the sword of the spirit and by the power of the Holy Ghost can lay that chain out there and with one whack in the name of Jesus and get you set free because the gospel is all about letting captives go free. Come on, somebody. You don't have to be perfect to go to this church. Because I'm going to tell you, if that's the standard, then the pastor, need, you need to get another pastor. I'll be, why did you say amen, Jeremy? <laughs> you know, timeliness to your amens are really pretty critical. <laughs> I'm messing with him. What am I saying? We are, 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 are put it out there on the front to say, look, nobody in the room is finished. He's still working on every one of us. This is a place you can come and you can take off the mask and you can build some relationships with, if you're a man, with some other brothers that are probably having a struggle similar to yours. The one lie of the devil is he'll tell you you're different from everybody else. All these folks got their act together in the room. Let me, shh, let me tell you right now, they don't. <laughs> and the enemy will lie to you and tell you that, oh, well, you're different. And because you're different, guess what? You've got a struggle that nobody else has ever had. And first of all, the Bible tells you that no temptation that you have is anything that's different. It's common to man. The devil has no new tricks. He's been playing the same games from the very beginning of time. And guess what? We keep falling for the same trap. Cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Number four, keep your tongue from evil. Turn from evil. Do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Psalm 34, verses 12 through 16. Whoever you've loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their, to their cry. Peter grabbed this and he said his ears are open to their prayers. He quoted this very passage, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them for the earth. I don't want to fill my name in on that last line in that blank. <laughs> the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Keep your tongue from evil, turn from evil, do good, seek peace, pursue it. You know what, you can come in here and sit in here and hear a message, you can leave encouraged, you can have somebody pray for you. We can trust God to break a bondage in your life to get you set free. And you can go right out of here and undo everything that was just prayed for you by this little thing right here. Proverbs says death and life is in the power of the tongue. Proverbs says death and life is in the power of the tongue. How great a power, a little rudder turns the whole ship. James says, this thing has the ability to set on fire the whole creative course of Genesis. God has the ability to do a creative work in your life, and you can undo it just by some stupid word. Well, I doubt it. No, it's, I, don't, I don't think God will do it for me. And you just undo everything. Watch your mouth. Turn from evil. This is not all about leaving out four-letter words. Come on. That's, that's little children that's, that's baby stage. Clean up your mouth if you're using language you shouldn't use. The biggest thing I'm talking to right now is you stop talking doubt and unbelief about what God's doing in your life. That's the greater curse. Anyway, don't shout me down. Number five, forsake evil ways and thoughts. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him while he is near let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God for he will forgive generously. Oh my goodness, did you just hear that? 
what I'm trying to tell you right now, you're sitting in here. This may be your first time here. Maybe you've come a couple of times. Maybe you're carrying something nobody else in the room knows about. Maybe there's a struggle you have that you're hoping to God nobody finds out about. Let me tell you something. This is not about, okay, if I just get all of this stuff fixed, when I get it all right and get all my ducks in a row and put that away from me, then I can turn to God and God will hear my prayers and he'll do something powerful in my life. Let me tell you, nobody in the room has the ability to do what religion will tell you to do just like that right there. All I'm asking you to do this morning to forsake evil and to turn from wicked ways is just turn your back to it. It's still hanging on right there. God knows it. Your buddies know it. But guess what you have to do? You turn away from it. And when you turn away from it, you turn toward God. You put your trust in the Lord and you say, that's in my past by faith. And in the name of Jesus, I'm walking to this new thing that God has for me. Are you hearing me this morning? When you just take that first step of faith, God has the ability to do all the fixing that we don't have the ability to do. He'll start the work. He'll begin to cleanse. He'll start to break bondages. You begin to get in the word. You pray. He comes into your heart. A new nature comes. New desires start to emerge. You, you, you start just being grateful and thankful for what you sense God doing in your life. And the world all of a sudden looks like an entirely different place because God gives you a fresh perspective. And you begin to think, hey, God's not my enemy. God's for me. And if he's for me, who can be against me? And, and, and who will lay any charge against the elect of God? The scripture says no one. God is for you. And if, if he who freely gave his son, how will he not with him also freely give us all things? That's what the word of the Lord says. Forsake it, turn from it. Number six, attitudes, actions, allegiances. Listen to this. Have clean hands, a pure heart. Don't lift your soul to idols. Don't swear by what is false. Be a man of your word. Be a woman of honor. What you do with these, think about Jesus having his life and ministry through your hands. How you use them to love your wife, to minister to your children. How you use them to conduct your business, whether it's driving a hammer and a nail whether it's changing a tire, whether it's standing up at the whiteboard at school and teaching children how to do an algebraic equation, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God and do it with clean hands and pure hearts. He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to an idol or to swear by what is false. That's the answer to the question that comes in Psalm 24 that says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? In other words, who can come up into God's presence? Who, who, who can get an audience of God? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. I'm preaching Jesus this morning. Seek the Lord. Seek him. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's time to seek the Lord. Number seven, and we're finished doing what's right, and living humbly. These are ways we seek God. We pray and call upon him. We cast our cares upon him. We serve him with wholehearted devotion and willing minds. We guard our mouths, our tongues. We turn from evil. We do good. We seek peace. We pursue it. We forsake evil ways and thoughts. We guard our attitudes and actions. And finally, number seven, Micah 6 verse 8 says this. It says, the Lord has shown you, O man, what is it that he requires of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God, to do justice. Jesus looked at the guys and he said, look, everybody out here in the world is worried about what they're going to eat, where they're going to sleep, how they're going to live, how they're going to pay their bills. And Jesus said, I'm telling you, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek the king and his kingdom. Seek first the government of God in your life and his justice and his righteousness and all of these things will come as a matter of course. What you eat, where you sleep, roof over your head, clothes on your back, 
Jesus said, the Gentiles seek all that. I'm telling you, don't worry about seeking that stuff, but seek me, he says. Seek first the kingdom of God. Doing what's right and living humbly. Seek the Lord, all who are humble, and follow his commands. Seek to do what is right and to live humbly. Perhaps even yet the Lord will protect you, protect you from his anger on that day of destruction. I want to close with this word to you this morning. There are a lot of things in the Bible that are both and. God is sovereign. Man is responsible. It takes both of them. God chooses. You choose. There's a response. My choices are real. There are consequences to them. I can't hold my fist up in the face of God and say, you made me do this. Because he gives me choice. Yet at the same time, the scripture says he works all things after the counsel of his own will. I don't understand the mystery between those two, what look like extremes. But yet God, in his infinite wisdom, works all things together for my good. Number of different things I can point to that are both and. They're not either or, but they're both and. But I want to tell you something this morning. As we close this service, there's one thing that's not both and. It is clearly either or. John 3.36 says, He that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son shall not see life. First John says it that way. John 3.36 says, He who has the Son has life, and he who disobeys the Son shall never know eternal life, but the wrath of God abides on him already. What was the last verse I just read in Zephaniah? Seek the Lord and he will be found and he will protect you in the day of his anger. God has already poured out his anger fully on Jesus Christ to pay the penalty, the sin of the world. He was beaten, he was bruised, literally to a bloody pulp where his visage was so marred, Isaiah 52 says, that we didn't even recognize him. There was no form nor comeliness that we would desire him. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We've esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Isaiah 53, 5. And right after that it comes... Isaiah continues and he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. God's near to you right now in this place. He is speaking to some hearts. The Spirit of God is drawing hearts of brothers and sisters in this room right now. I want everybody to bow your head, close your eyes. Nobody's looking around. I'm not going to embarrass anyone, call anybody to the front. We don't do it that way here at Victory. And I just want to tell you in a moment, now not yet, but in a moment, I'm going to ask you, if you're ready to cross the line of faith and you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm going to ask you to take a step. Just remain seated. But the step I'm asking you to take is just to slip your hand up so I can pray for you. I'm not going to identify anybody, call anybody by name. I'm not going to call you to the front. But that's just your step of faith where you're saying, hey, it's time to seek the Lord. God says, I heard you preach today, pastor, that God will reward those who earnestly, diligently seek him. And I'm lifting my hand because I want God in my life. I'm seeking his face. I'm seeking his presence. You recognize that there's absolutely nothing you can do to earn or deserve a place in heaven or to even, even call God your heavenly father. But you realize that he set his love on you and he loved you so much that the Bible says before the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God was slain. John 1.29, behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. This morning I'm asking you to behold him, look at him. Get a, get a fresh picture of who Jesus is in your life. Very simply, he paid the penalty that he didn't owe. It was your debt, it was my debt. You didn't have the ability to pay it, but he paid it for you. And so what you're saying is, Jesus, I put my trust in you. Be my savior. Stand in my place before the court of heaven. You've already 
received the capital punishment. You, you, you were executed. You died in my place. I deserve to die. I deserve hell. Now, everything I just said right there is wrapped up in three words. Jesus, save me. That's all I'm asking you right now, to make that the prayer of your heart. Before I do that, every head's bowed, every eye's closed. I'm asking you right now. Somebody's in the room, the Spirit of God's drawing, and I want you right now to slip up your hand, and you're just saying right now, Pastor, pray for me. There's some, there's some folks in this room. The Spirit of God is drawing. Yes, thank you. I see your hand over here, and there's another one over here. Anyone else? Anyone else? I've seen two. Yes, that's another one. I see the third one. Yes, ma'am. I see your hand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Thank you. Just another second. Anyone else this morning? God, we look to you. We are totally incapable, unable. We're bankrupt. Have no ability whatsoever to even appear in your presence because our hands are not clean and our hearts are not pure. We're defiled by sin. We are sinners. We need a Savior. Jesus, thank you for these three hands that I saw go up around this room this morning. And we stand in faith with these brothers and sisters, and we ask you in the name of Jesus that, Lord, you would just reveal yourself. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You do what no man can do. And right now, these three pray, Jesus, save me. They cry out to you, Lord. And I just thank you, oh God, that you do a work of the Spirit in their lives. You begin that today. Thank you, Jesus, that their trust is in you. They turn from their past. They forsake their wicked ways. Lord, they put their trust in you. In the name of Jesus. Now, every head bowed still, every eye closed. I'm talking to believers now. I just want to say to you in this room that through this series, God has just been enlarging something on the inside of me. It's like, it's like the universe that is still expanding at 186,000 miles a second. God is basically saying, look, I'm going deeper. I'm creating more space. I'm enlarging your heart is the way the psalmist said it. God's making more space deeper down on the inside of me so that he can fill me up with his presence. And that's what I want. I'm seeking him. Both my hands are up this morning. Anybody else today want to join me? Just want to say, I know it's time to seek the Lord. Anybody in the room? Father, in the name of Jesus, you see my brothers and sisters all over this room. They're believers. They've walked with you. They put their trust in you. You've revealed yourself in crazy, amazing ways in the past. God, some of us have sat, sat down and gotten comfortable. We've gotten lazy. Lord, we've been at ease in Zion. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that your ministry is to comfort the afflicted, but Lord, it's to also afflict the comfortable. God, I thank you, Jesus, that you're stretching me. You're stretching me as a pastor of this church to, to love better, to love more, to love like Jesus loves. Lord, to love this community. Stretch us, oh God. Let us be the people you've called us to be. Give us clean hands and pure hearts. We seek your face in Jesus' mighty name. And all of God's people said...